Welcome to the Living Epistle Podcast, the place where you will find biblical principles to help you live out your faith on a daily basis and to have a positive impact on the lives of others. So get ready for another powerful episode of Living Epistle Podcast. Hello, my name is Tony Miles, and welcome to this week's episode of Living Epistle Podcast. I started going back to the gym this week after not going for almost a year due to COVID-19. And prior to this week, I had only been to the gym maybe three or four times, like I said, in the past 12 months. I really just didn't feel comfortable. So hold on, hold on. Don't be shocked or dismayed. You are correct. No, I have not become a couch potato uh, during the pandemic. Um, You guys know that um, pretty much I've still been active and I've been getting my workouts in probably three to five days per week. Um, I've been doing a lot of cardio, for example, running and walking and riding my bike like the pedal bicycle bike and kayaking when the weather was warmer. Um, I also do calisthenics. Um, these exercises are things that primarily use your own body weight. So, for example, I've been doing push-ups and pull-ups and jumping jacks and dips and stuff like that. So while I was at the gym this week, though, I started thinking about all of the millions, uh, for sure, thousands of people who made um, New Year's resolutions uh, in 2021. And the number one resolution, of course, is you guessed it. People want to either, quote unquote, get into shape, end quote, or they want to lose weight. So, you know, now getting into shape means different things to different people. So to some people, getting into shape might mean shedding some pounds. To someone else, it might mean losing a few inches. To another person, it might mean tightening up or toning up what you already have. Um, To somebody else, it might mean, you know, bulking up. You want to increase your muscle mass. And to somebody else, it might just be targeting a specific area or a specific body part that you really just want to see um, changed or um, uh, sculpted or put into a different, you know, different shape or look. So, again, whatever your definition or whatever the, the definition of getting in the shape is, one thing is 100% certain, and it really doesn't matter what the getting into shape or getting fit means. The one thing that is certain across all spectrums is this, is it won't happen unless we put in the work to make it happen. So whatever our goals are in life, whether they're spiritual goals, emotional goals, financial goals, physical goals, career goals, educational goals, you put it in there, whatever the goal is that you have, you name it. It cannot and will not be achieved without us putting the work in that's necessary to achieve it, whatever the goal is. Right. And so I truly believe that one of the significant differences between people who achieve their goals and those who only talk about achieving their goals is this, is those who have achieved their goals are simply disciplined in their pursuit of the goal, right? And so Proverbs 13, 4 reads in the New Living Translation, it reads it this way. It reads, lazy people want much, but get little, but those who work hard will prosper. And so let's define discipline. The first thing I'm sure we all think of when we hear the word discipline is we think of that thing that we got when we were little or younger, where our parents would quote unquote discipline us. So let's talk about that definition. Um, discipline is the practice of making people obey rules or standards of behavior and punishing them when they don't. 
right? So some synonyms for this type of discipline would be a penalty, correction, or the biblical word for this is, of course, chastening. However, in the context that I'm talking about tonight, I'm not talking about it in that context. I'm not talking about a punishing or a penalty or a chastening. In the context I'm talking about tonight is it's a verb. And so if you discipline yourself to do something, you train yourself to behave and work in a strictly controlled or regular way. So some synonyms for the type of discipline I'm talking about are train, control, govern, or check is Um, This kind of discipline that you understand that in order to be successful at something, you need to behave in a strictly controlled way and obey particular rules or standards. And here's the beauty of this kind of discipline. This kind of discipline takes effect even when you don't feel like it, even when it's uncomfortable or even when it appears that nothing is happening. Remember the definition that we just talked about in this kind of discipline. You discipline yourself to do something. You train yourself to behave or to work in a strictly controlled and regular way. Controlled meaning regulated or in other words, self-controlled. And then in a regular way, meaning consistent is something that is not sporadic. It's not something you do kind of half-hearted or willy-nilly, but it's something that you're doing on a consistent and a regular basis. And this concept of discipline is seen throughout the Bible Two really great examples of this are certainly um, God in the Old Testament. In Exodus, he had promised the children of Israel a, quote, land flowing with milk and honey, end quote. But he also told them that they had to go and possess it. And so Moses had to be disciplined when he was leading the Israelites out of Egypt. He also had to be disciplined right when he was leading them in the wilderness. But let's fast forward. The Lord says, Moses, my servant is dead. And now he calls Joshua to lead them into the promised land. So Moses saw the promised land, but he did not enter in. And so now Joshua, Joshua had to be disciplined to lead the nation of Israel into the promised land. And in both instances, whether it was with Moses or with Joshua, there was opposition um, to both of them to try to hinder them from entering into the promise. And some of that opposition came from the people within their own camp. Right. And we know the story, uh, of course, where they um, where Moses was on Mount Sinai and they melted a golden calf and all of that. And then Joshua, his opposition was a literal opposition in terms of enemies and giants and people in the land that they had to go and conquer to actually possess the land. But it required discipline. It required Moses to do something. It required required Joshua to do something. It required them to be controlled. It required them to be consistent or regular in what they were doing. The other example that comes to my mind very clearly is Nehemiah. God had placed it in Nehemiah's heart when he had heard the report that the wall around Jerusalem had been destroyed. There was work to be done on his part. Right. So he had this 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 yearning in his heart to do this. And so there was something that he had to do in order for it to be accomplished. And certainly there was opposition to him completing the rebuilding of the wall around Jerusalem. But he was so disciplined in his approach and to the task at hand 
the rebuilding of the wall around Jerusalem. And so he was focused. He was consistent. He was self-controlled. And you know the story when people told lies on him and they tried to get them to stop or they tried to connive and be a part of what he was doing. But the discipline and the focus that he had would not allow um, it would not allow him to take his focus off of the task at hand. And that was to rebuild a wall around Jerusalem. Here's a key truth about discipline. And you can know this. We know we see it throughout the Bible. We see it in our daily lives. Here's a key truth about discipline. If we apply it, it will lead to the desired results. Now, remember, it starts out as being hard. It's not fun. It's not pleasurable. And it is sometimes even painful. And let's go back to the scenario I talked about earlier on in the podcast, this scenario of getting into shape. Right. When we first start our new routine, our new um, whatever it is that we're trying to do, get into shape or sculpt or build or lose inches or lose pounds, whatever the it is that we're trying to in our definition of getting into shape. It is hard. It is hard. Um, It's it's not fun. It's our bodies are aching. We've got to get up early in the morning or maybe we have to go to the gym or whatever that is after work. So it's not easy for us to do. And we have to continually think about, well, what am I eating? What am I drinking? What exercises or physical activity am I going to engage in to get me to my desired goal? But then something happens with consistency, which goes hand in hand with discipline, with intentionality. In other words, I'm not just remember we talked about it earlier, being regular, being controlled with that consistency, that intentionality and time. We begin to notice some changes. We begin to see some results. And now we're motivated to continue on our path because we're beginning to reap some of the rewards of our efforts. And we've all been there, right? We've all been there where we say, I want to get into shape and we're doing the things we're eating right. We're doing the cardio. We're doing everything right, but we don't see anything. But we begin maybe to feel differently and something where we couldn't walk for 15 minutes before. Now, all of a sudden we're walking 20 minutes. So we're beginning to feel and beginning to see some of the results and some of the quote unquote fruit of our labor. And then finally, we reach our goal. Wow, we are elated. And now we can't imagine our lives, that world around us without doing those things that got us to our desired objective. And and just full transparency for me, I can't imagine going a couple of days without doing something, without running, walking, riding my bike or lifting weights. Or I have to do something because my body craves it. It yearns it. It's just a part of my DNA now. And so what happens is in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11, the New Living Translation says it this way. No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who have trained in this way. And so, again, the Bible tells us that going through the process is not fun and it is painful. But, man, we will reap a harvest if we continue in that. And that is when the discipline becomes a delight. 
We should be disciplined in every area of our lives, including spiritually. And one of the things, if you'll, I've talked about this in several podcasts. One of the things that I'm so learning and it's becoming really clear to me is that one area of our lives affects every other area that's so interdependent. Our minds, our thoughts, our emotions, our bodies, our feelings, our wills, our intellect are so interconnected. But so it is in our lives that one area of our life where we may think is spiritual is separate from our work life, is separate from our family life, is separate from our friends. They are all interconnected. And even though they're separate, they are connected because we are this complex being. And so, again, we really should be disciplined in every area of our lives, including spiritual. And so uh, there's a great book by Richard Foster called The Spiritual Disciplines. If you haven't read it, I, I would strongly encourage you to get it. But one of the couple of the spiritual disciplines that he talks about in the book, he talks about prayer. He talks about study and he talks about fellowship. This is not an all inclusive list. I just picked these three. And here's these were hard that prayer. That study. Come on, we can all relate when we try to open up the book and read and study the word. What happens? The Mr. Sandman comes and get us and we want to fall asleep. We try to get on our knees and pray. And what happens? We wind up drifting off and we can't pray. But a few minutes when we first start out and fellowship, we don't even really know what that means or what it is. But now when I first started my walk with Christ, they were difficult and I had to be consistent. I had to be intentional. I had to be um, just controlled in terms of making sure that I'm doing the things that I needed to be done. And I'm sure that's the case with you. Now, I can't imagine going a day without prayer, without study, without fellowshipping with my Heavenly Father. And yet again, we see that the discipline has come a delight. Right. And so I can truly say that there is no greater joy than knowing that I am the son of the most high God. There should be no greater joy for you in knowing that you are a son or a daughter of the most high God. And he hears us when we pray. I can truly say that I absolutely love, I mean, love, 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 love the Bible and having the Holy Spirit illuminate the truths found in God's word. To me, it's like a novel. Sometimes I'll get caught up in a scripture and I cannot put it down. And I begin to research and I dig and dig and dig. And it's just like a wonderful mystery being um, solved right before my very eyes. And I cannot absolutely imagine going a day without fellowshipping with my my heavenly father, man, what started out as discipline, prayer, forcing myself to pray. What started out as a discipline of forcing myself to study and trying to stay up and read God's word. And, and then this fellowshipping with the heavenly father, man, I'm, I really want to fellowship with you, Lord. Now they have all become a delight and I cannot, I cannot imagine my life without them. And so my hope and my prayer for you is that the disciplines in your lives have now become or will soon become a delight in every area of our lives, whether it's our careers, our jobs, our families, our educational pursuits, whatever it is, I pray that those disciplines, when we look at some of the people who are happiest in life, it is they are doing those things that they were disciplined to do early on. And now they are walking in the favor. They're walking in their destiny. They're walking in their purpose because the disciplines have now become a delight. And it's something that they do as naturally It's something that we do as naturally as the air that we breathe because the disciplines have become a delight. And so, family, I encourage you pursue 
pursue with all faithfulness, with all diligence. In 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 through 27, in the New Living Translation, the Apostle Paul reads it this way, or he says it this way. Don't you realize that in a race, everyone, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. So I pray, family, that we would discipline our bodies, discipline our minds, discipline our hearts. Paul says, I discipline my body. That's something we can do. We can discipline our bodies so that God will get the glory out of our lives and the disciplines ultimately become a delight. Remember, family, preach the gospel at all times. And when necessary, use words. This is Tony Miles. Thanks for listening. Now go and be a living epistle. Join us again next week for another episode of Living Epistle Podcast. Music for Living Epistle Podcast is provided by audionautics.com. Hello, my name is Tony Miles. And welcome to this week's episode of Living Epistle Podcast. The inspiration for this week's podcast actually came to me while I was recording last week's podcast. Um, This week's message was further confirmed throughout the entire week, starting with last Friday. Throughout this week, um, during our 6 a.m. Noble Warriors morning prayer, I heard a similar theme during Wednesday night's Bible study. And again, during this uh, Friday morning's devotion. So if you'll recall... Last week's podcast was titled From Discipline to Delight. And one of the people I talked about was Nehemiah. I talked about his discipline and how his discipline helped him to achieve the goal of rebuilding the wall in Jerusalem. What I didn't talk about, though, was all of the opposition that he faced when he was trying to do what God had called him to do. Today, I want to start with him as a great example of how we can remain hopeful in the face of opposition. So let's do a brief background, and I'm full, so my podcast may be a little longer than usual. Um, But a brief background of Nehemiah. He was a uh, contemporary of Ezra. Ezra was a priest, of course, who uh, was a leader of the Jews on their return, upon their return from their Babylonian captivity or their Babylonian exile. And so he was really instrumental in bringing people back to the book of the law or the book of the Torah, which is the first five books of the New Testament. Nehemiah was a cupbearer uh, for the king of Persia. Uh, cupbearer, or a side note, I should say Persia is modern day Iran. And a cupbearer was a key role. He was the one who tasted the king's wine to prevent him from being poisoned. And so we understand as a cupbearer, he was in a position of trust and confidence as one of the king's key advisors. However, because of his love for his people, he was willing to give up this life of luxury and ease in the palace and to go back to Jerusalem to help his people. And so he was granted permission. He prayed to God and God granted him permission. And then he went to King Artaxerxes uh, and asked him for permission. And uh, Artaxerxes gave him permission to go back to Jerusalem and help to rebuild the uh, shattered wall. Now, here's what the Lord has been reminding me of all this past week. 
in spite of opposition from without and from within, the task of completing the wall was completed in 52 days. And it was a feat that even the enemies of Israel had to attribute to their almighty and their all powerful God. And just a side note, um, we see here that God is not against walls and borders and the wall represented safety and the sovereignty of the people of Israel. And so that's a podcast for another day. But I just had to throw that in there that biblically walls are something that God was in favor of to protect his people. So Let's look more closely at Nehemiah's story. Nehemiah asks the Jews who had survived the captivity uh, captivity in Babylon and have returned to Jerusalem. Um, he asked them, how were things going with the people back in Jerusalem? In Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, and this is the response, or this is what happened. And they said to me, and this is from the New King James Version, and they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down. And its gates are burned with fire. So it was when I heard these things, I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And so you see, when Nehemiah got that report, man, it really, it, it, it hit him hard. He, he wept and he fasted and he prayed. And again, we know the story. He prayed to God and he went to King Artaxerxes and Artaxerxes gave him permission. And so he goes back. And so now let's fast forward. He's in Jerusalem. He's in Jerusalem and he goes to inspect the wall at night. And at this point, he hadn't told anybody what God had placed on his heart other than King Artaxerxes. But he hadn't told anybody in Jerusalem what God had placed on his heart. He hadn't mentioned it to the Jews. He hadn't mentioned it to the priests. He hadn't mentioned it to the nobles or the officials or anybody who could actually help him in rebuilding the wall. And then in Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, he begins to tell the people what God laid on his heart. So he says, and again, this is the New King James Version, Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. It says, then I said to them, you see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies in waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. In other words, no longer be shame in, in shame to the other nations around them. And I told them of the hand of my God, which had been upon me, and also of the king's words that he had spoken to me. And so they said, quote, let us rise up and build, end quote. Then they set their hands to do this good work. And sure enough, as soon as the people said yes to what God had called them to do, here comes the opposition. Nehemiah chapter 2 verses 19 through 20. And it reads from the New King James Version. When Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they laughed at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you are doing? Will you rebel against the king? So I answered them and said to them, this is Nehemiah. So I answered them and said to them, the God of heaven will prosper us. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no heritage or no right, nor memorial in Jerusalem. So in other words, here it is. When people laugh at us, when people despise us, when people would think evil of us or people say things against us when God has told us to do something, let our response be like that of Nehemiah. He said, quote, the God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no heritage 
or write or memorial in Jerusalem. In other words, laugh at us all you want to, hate us all you want to, but we know that God of heaven will help us to succeed. And he went on to say, but you have no share, you have no legal right, you have no historic claim in Jerusalem. In other words, this promise is not for you. And as you can imagine, this did not sit well with Sam Ballot, Tobiah, and uh, and um, uh, Shechem, right? And so now they begin to uh, stop the plan of Israel to build this wall, or they begin to plot and stop the plan of Nehemiah to build this wall. And so they tried all different types of opposition. They tried ridicule, right? Nehemiah 4 and 1 through 6, and it reads, Sam Ballot was furious. I won't read all. I'm just going to read two verses. It says, Sam Ballot was furious and very indignant that they had begun to rebuild the wall. So he mocked them. Right. In other words, mocking, he derided them, he teased them, he taunted them. And he said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they revive the stones from the heap of rubbish? Whatever they build, if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. So in other words, look, he's again saying all of this stuff against them to try to to um, to just ridicule them about what they're trying to do. But look at uh, Nehemiah's response. He said they prayed to God. And they continue to build. That was their response. Nehemiah verse, uh, chapter four, verse six. So we built the wall and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height for the people had a mind to work. One surefire way to overcome opposition of ridicule is to pay no attention to it and continue to focus on what God has placed in our hearts and in our in your heart and in our hearts to do. They also gave the opposition through threat of attack. Right. Here's the Israelites response again. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to God and because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. So they were threatening to attack them, but they kept working and then they just said, we'll set an attack. They tried discouragement. Right. In Nehemiah chapter four, verses uh, 10 through 12, it reads that the work was great. And so that they were spread out and concerned about their safety. And look at Nehemiah's response here in verse 19. And then I said to the nobles, the rulers and the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive and we are separated far from one another on the wall. Whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet rally to us there, our God will fight for us. So again, they were discouraged because they began to see the magnitude of the work. But again, he rallied the people together and he reminded them, hey, I know we're spread out. But when you hear the the trumpet come to where that is, because wherever that is, God is there to fight for us. But the enemy also doesn't just uh, bring opposition from without. He brings opposition from within. So there was opposition from within the Jewish camp, within the camp of Jerusalem. Some of the Jewish nobles and rulers were charging their fellow Jews so much interest that they were having to literally sell their sons and their daughters into slavery to pay their debts. Nehemiah called an assembly and he said, God forbid that you should do this. No longer will you do this. No longer will this be tolerated. So they proclaimed that they would no longer do it amongst the rulers and the nobles. And he also called together the religious leaders and said, uh, and, and your community as well. And so they didn't. And so Nehemiah called an assembly and told them, restore their houses, restore their land, restore their vineyards, restore their olive groves, right? Opposition from within the camp. And I couldn't help but think about sometimes when God calls us, the opposition is, isn't from the outside. It's from the people who live in the house with us that they can't see or they're doing things that are thwarting the vision that God has given us, right? But again, we continue to pray and we ask God, how do we handle that? We call an assembly when we bring correction to it immediately. 
But then there was opposition through compromise. Here it is. So nothing that Samballot, Tobias and uh, Geshem had done up to this point had stopped the construction of the wall. And at this point now, there were no breaks in the wall. All that was left to do really were to hang the gates. And so now here's their approach. Man, I guess if we can't beat them, we're going to fake try to join them, right? You remember that from the olden days. If you can't beat them, join them. Well, that was Sam Ballot, Tobias, and Geshem's approach as well. In Nehemiah chapter 6, verses 2 through 3, it reads that Sam Ballot and Geshem sent to me saying, quote, come, let us meet together among the villages in the plain of Ono, end quote. But they thought to do me harm. And so I sent messengers to them saying, quote, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it to go down to you? End quote. They requested that, um, that Nehemiah come down four on four different occasions. They requested that he come down and meet with them. And on all four occasions, his response was the same. And I can't help but think about um, the late uh, Maya Angelou when she says, when people believe, when people show you who they are, believe them. Tobias, Samballot, and uh, Geshem had already shown who they were. And so why would Nehemiah stop the work on the wall to go down to them? And the Lord already showed them that they meant harm. They try to bring opposition through slander. So they couldn't they couldn't ridicule them to stop. They couldn't discourage them to stop. The threat of attack wouldn't cause them to stop. Even to try to trick them into compromising couldn't stop. So now they come just in straight out and lie on Nehemiah and the work that he's doing. Sam Ballot sends him a letter saying that he's rebuilding the wall and that the Jews were planning a rebellion against the king. But look at Nehemiah's response to Samballot's letter in Nehemiah six verses eight and nine. He says, then I sent to him saying, quote, no such thing as you say are being done, but you invent them in your own heart. For they were all trying to make us afraid, saying, quote, their hands will be weakened in the work and it will not be done, end quote. And so Nehemiah says, now, therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. So even when you try to slander me and even when you tell lies and everything against me to try to make me afraid, now, therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. And here's the last one. They tried even opposition through just flat out treachery. Nothing Sam Ballot, Tobiah and Geshem had done had worked so far. So finally, they sent someone, a man by the name of Shemaiah, a spy to tell Nehemiah, hey, they're out to kill you. Why don't you go hide in the temple? Because they're coming to kill you at night. And again, look at Nehemiah's response. Nehemiah's response in Nehemiah chapter six, verses 11 through 13. And it reads, and I said, quote, should such a man as I flee? And who is there such as I who would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go, end quote. And Nehemiah says, and then I perceived uh, that God had not sent him at all, but that he pronounced his prophecy against me because Tobiah and Samballot had hired him. And for this reason, he was hired that I should be afraid and act the way and act the way and act that way and sin so that they might have cause for an evil report that they might reproach me. In other words, they were hoping to intimidate him. They were hoping to make him sin. They were hoping to be able to accuse him so that they would discredit him in the work that he was doing. Right. So, again, here's the key takeaway from all of this family is that 
There, the enemy has no new tricks. The opposition may be more modern. It may look different. It may sound different. It may come through our iPhones and our iPads and, our, and all of these electronic devices. But at its core, it is the same old devil with the same old objective. And that is to kill, steal, and destroy. But as we see, and as we see, he is relentless in his pursuit of us. But by God's grace, we win. Uh, here's what we know. And here's what gives us hope. Just as relentless as the adversary is in coming after us. We saw it over and over again here in the book of Nehemiah in this story, right? But just as relentless as the enemy is, is coming after us. God is much more unyielding. God is much more unrelenting in his love and his passion for us. God through Nehemiah has shown us how to be victorious over our adversary. We must be led by the Holy Spirit every step of the way. And as long as we follow his leading, as long as we follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, guess what? Victory is assured. And I'll close with a couple of scriptures that really that we can meditate on. And I pray that we get into our souls and we get into our spirits, even as we face opposition. Isaiah 41 and 10 reads, New Living Translation, do not be afraid for I am with you. Do not be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. And I have to read this from the New Testament, Romans, just a couple of verses from Romans chapter four. Again, New Living Translation. And this is the Apostle Paul recounting Abraham. And his verse 18 begins, even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping. Believing that he would become the father of many nations for God had said to him that how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about a hundred years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead. And so was Sarah's womb. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger and it was in this he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God was able to do whatever he promises. And because of God's um, because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. And when God counted him as righteous, here it is, family. It wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit too, assuring us that God will also count us as righteous. If we believe in him, the one who raised Jesus, our Lord from the dead. This is a great place to give God praise. And so here's as I'm closing and wrapping this up. Whatever the situation you may be facing right now may look hopeless. The circumstance you may be in right now may appear to be dead, but just know that we serve a God who specializes in the impossible. And like Noah, just keep working, keep trusting, keep believing in God, keep your focus on him. And you know how that story ends. The wall was rebuilt in record time. It was rebuilt in 52 days and Israel's enemies even their enemies were so amazed that they could only attribute that great accomplishment to the God of Israel, that God Israel serves. And like Abraham, he was 100 years old and Sarah was about 90. But God's promise of a son, Isaac, did come to fruition. Even when their bodies were reproductively dead, God was faithful to fulfill his promises. Hey, family. 
Just know and believe that we serve a God who specializes in the impossible. Whatever the situation, whatever the opposition, there is always hope. Just like Abraham, he always hoped and even his hope and his faith and his strength grew in the face of what his body was physically telling him. So remember, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. This is Tony Miles. Thanks for listening. Now go and be a living 